My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Sundays with Tozer on Mickles and Dimes. Justin Tozer is singular. One of the smartest, kindest, most generous, insightful, caring, understated, hardworking, impactful, selfless people to have ever lived. If you've never met Tozer, I bet you're skeptical. If you have met Tozer, I bet you agree with me. A math and science prodigy, Tozer grew up on a farm where formal education was all but prohibited. Yet somehow Tozer would make his way to the world's most prestigious firms, first in Silicon Valley and later in Los Alamos at the world's preeminent scientific lab. Yet no professional accomplishment compares to the countless lives Tozer has saved, changed, and enhanced. Please take the time to get to know Justin Tozer through this podcast. You will become a better person for it, and you will see that Tozer is singular. Sundays with Tozer, Episode 1. In 1998, Tozer gave me the book Tuesdays with Maury, which describes the impact Professor Maury Schwartz had on his student Mitch Album. Tuesdays with Maury became my favorite book. I wanted to be like Maury, so much so that I became a professor just like Maury. I even read passages from Tuesdays with Maury to Keisha on our second date. Today, that same book that Tozer gifted me decades ago sits on the bookcase in my bedroom. Tozer may not have realized how much that book shaped not only my career path, but also my life. Then again, Tozer has an unparalleled mind, so maybe he knew exactly what he was doing. For years, I had been wanting to write a biography of Tozer. Then one day, I thought about Mitch Album interviewing Maury Schwartz each Tuesday, and I asked Tozer if I could interview him each Sunday. Fortunately, Tozer agreed, and Sundays with Tozer was born. So welcome to the first episode of Sundays with Tozer. So let's start at the beginning, Tozer. I don't know a lot about your childhood, but you were born in Colorado? Yep. On West the farm. Of, well, I was born in the hospital in Cortez, Colorado. Oh, okay, okay. You were not born on the um, farm. And then, um, yeah, and then uh, grew up... Um, First five or six years was in a house with uh, no running water. Oh, wow. No toilets. Uh, they had an outhouse. And um, in the wintertime, when it was really cold, um, uh, at least the kids, you've, you, there's a joke they used to tell. Uh, like, I don't know if you've heard of Red Skeleton. He said, How do you, what's the difference between a rich person and a poor person? Uh, a rich person has a canopy over their bed and a poor person has a canopy under their bed and there used to be these rex lard cans which um um at least for the little kids you'd have a can under your bed and you'd go in the can and then in the morning they'd take it out oh my god i didn't even know that that's service (laughs) and you had that yeah yeah no way yeah. So it gets pretty cold in Cortez. And so when I first saw flushing toilets, they scared me. They were very scary things. Where did you could just totally disappear like that? So where did you first see flushing toilets? Um, we went to uh, something that was at a being hosted at a school in Cortez, you know, and I had to go to the bathroom and, and the flush toilet and. and they make all this noise and <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> you had two siblings? Uh, an older brother and a younger sister, all three years apart. Okay. And how long were you 
on the like on the farm? Did you just spend your first eighteen years on the farm? Yeah, we're like seventeen, but um, we uh, mom and dad were not. They were very frugal, and so they didn't like to borrow money, and so we did have a tractor that worked sometimes. But we also um, had two mules, Babe and Jerry, and they had implements that were horse-drawn implements. What does that mean, an implement? It means like if you wanted to feed the cows, you hook the wagon up to two horses or two mules instead of a tractor. Or if you needed to cultivate or harrow or... Um, you know, we had most of the farm implements available as, um, to be horse pulled. And then, uh, as at some point we got a reliable tractor and then instead of buying new implements, um, we converted the horse drawn implements into tractor drawn implements, which is not quite as good as ones you might buy that were made to go with a tractor. What sort of crops were you farming? Alfalfa, uh, corn for insulage. And um, at some point, my mom got concerned that there wasn't enough diversity in their uh, financial income. You know, if you had a bad uh, season for hay or the price was poor, you, um, you know, there wasn't anything else. So, um, my mom encouraged my dad to start, um, planting a truck patch, which is, that's where watermelons, cantaloupes, um, okra, squash, tomatoes, bell peppers, and um, we start. They started off really small when I was, uh, I don't know, maybe four or five, and then that was so successful that uh, they increased it every year until they got up to about ten acres. Wow! And after I left home, they started getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> <laughs> when you say it was working for them, but um, did that help them like get a flushing toilet or like? How much? Yes, they moved from one side of the creek to the other side where they bought a house that still didn't have any um, running water or anything. But they, um, when they got the loan to buy that, they uh, agreed to install a toilet and that kind of stuff. So I was probably um, six years old when they got that, got the house and it had a, a one bathroom, two bedroom, one bathroom house. When I think of you, I think of smart. Were your parents pretty smart? Were they savvy? Were they hardworking? Like, how do you think mm, of your parents? Um, describe my mom as um, very dedicated, hardworking, um, you know, she'd work herself, uh, you know, till she collapsed. Uh, and my dad, uh, 
he was pretty smart, even though he only had an eighth grade education. So he was always thinking about things. Um, and I don't know, I was different in the family, very different. <laughs> so yeah, what at what point did you realize that you're different? I was a lot smaller than my brother and, um, you know, there was, yeah, there was three years age difference, but as the years went by, uh, it was clear that I wasn't catching up. Now it's weird. I'm a little bit taller than him right now. So I kind of like to get a reassessment of, <laughs> of that situation, but, um, I kind of got the impression dad was disappointed with my, you know, he'd have my brother go flip 100 pound bales of hay in the, in the air. And then he'd look at me and it's like, oh, you know, he's, you know, he doesn't even weigh 50 pounds. Um, when I graduated from high school, I just barely weighed 100 pounds. So, oh, are you serious? Uh, yeah. I had no idea. Uh, and then I hit a growth spurt. Nowadays, um, you know, uh, my primary care doctor and the doctors they work with on on my pituitary issue, they say that my pituitary problem, they can kind of pretty well pinpoint when it started um, based on just a, a history of different things that happened at different points. Um, and so it's probably that, you know, your pituitary controls a lot of things that affect your growth and your development and everything. And, and so, um, that was something that held me back. Um, and then I had a huge growth spurt at, well, the first year I was in college, uh, which was kind of weird. Most people don't have a big growth spurt yeah. in, in college. A hundred pounds in high school yeah yeah but so you you went to school though i mean you mm -hmm. you went to did you go to grade school middle school high school i mean i know it seems like in my you know past conversations with you the farm was kind of everything and school was more of a distraction school was everything i love oh, really oh for you I love school yeah and my the rest of the family didn't like school I, I love school and um I had the same teacher for the first six years at the Battle Rock uh, elementary school and she's still alive by the way she's I think she's a hundred no way what's her name Audrey Allman uh, oh really neat lady uh, but she really her specialty is teaching. She's a fantastic teacher. And I thought the world of her. And um, I loved learning. And um, because she's teaching six grades at the same time, you don't like have six different classrooms. You have all the kids in the same classroom. And you would, um, uh, when you come to school in the morning, you'd open up your desk. Uh, you know, I had a hinged lid and inside would be a little note from Audrey and she didn't want to be called Miss Solomon. You're to call her by her first name. Is that, that sounds different for, you know, what year are we talking here? Like this is like first grade 1970. 
Um, well, I graduated from high school in 77, so you'd have to go back to uh, 77 minus 12. Um, anyway, um, you get that note and it'd tell you what you needed, the minimum you needed to accomplish that day. And so you could actually, uh, let's say you didn't like one subject, you could just like do the minimum and then you could do a ton of something else that you liked. And so she was always trying to find new books, new books to read, new science books, new math books. There was never enough. And so um, we'd ask, she'd go to the, bigger schools in Cortez and ask them to donate stuff, books, textbooks and stuff. So you probably, you stayed away from the science books and you gravitated to like the romance novels and stuff, right? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> um, I love science, uh, liked engineering and, um, um, you know, in the early days, in like first grade, fire, water, dirt, all those things are fun to mess around with, you know. We had lots of unexpected fires in the back of the school. They tolerated all of that stuff. There were, um, the teacher seemed to have complete confidence. Although she did have a nickname for me. And I was very proud of the nickname. But I also, now later in life, realized that maybe it wasn't like a I shouldn't have, maybe I shouldn't have been so proud of it. Did you ever watch Gilligan's Island? Uh, no, not really. Oh, you got to at least watch one episode. Okay, I will. I'm going to write it down. Uh, I, <laughs> um, your kids would like Gill Gilligan's Island. Um, so one of the characters, matter of fact, everybody on Gilligan's Island are stupid. <laughs> um, they, they just, they never get off the island because they never make good decisions, but... The professor, he's got all kinds of great ideas, and he has some degree of success, but never, never accomplishes getting him off the island. So um, I love, you know, I identified with a professor on Gilligan's Island, and she called me professor. And I love that. But you have to remember, the professor was never very successful. <laughs> but he got he had, he accomplished great things but gilligan often screwed him up so but he was the smartest of all of the people on the island supposedly <laughs> so what what grade is this that you remember her creating this nickname for you is this like first grade or is this like sixth grade or just somewhere along the line started early on um i had tremendous latitude and i don't know if my enthusiasm for education would have been the same if it hadn't been for a teacher that, you know, if it had been a teacher that was more rigid. You know? mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we'd get in fights over at lunch hours to which kid would get to hold her hand. <laughs> oh, no way. I don't, no, I don't, I have a hard time picturing you getting in a fist fight though. Um, no, nothing. I did have a violent thing that happened. Um, 
the first few weeks that I started school as a first grader, um, there was uh, my cousin, Calvin, Calvin Zwicker, and his kind of girl he liked, Susan Coppinger, which like, she is twice as tall as I was. They're both huge, in my opinion. They um, were giving me a bad time out on the playground. So, um, um, and then they do something to me and then they would run and they do something. So um, this happened day after day for a while. So I took out my pocket knife one day and, and, um, and I chased Calvin, never <laughs> caught him. Probably fortunate that I never caught him. And um, she took my pocket knife and um, it was not given back until the last day of the school year. Audrey, your teacher took your pocket Audrey, knife. Audrey, yeah, 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 Audrey. And when you say you're running around with your pocket knife, you got your blade out. The blade's out, you know, I'm, um, you know, I, I figure that's the best uh, tool. Obviously they're bigger than me and I'm gonna have to solve the problem somehow. Um, but whatever you say, Calvin, um, and his uh, girl didn't bother me much anymore. Yeah, I was gonna say that. Yeah, that kind of puts <laughs> an end to it, right? Yeah, that was uh, that was some really bad decision making on my part. But the teacher just took it in stride. Now, it, nowadays, you'd be um, yeah, kicked out of school, and and uh, all kinds of terrible things would happen, and the police would show up. But you're in the middle of nowhere, and. Um, a lot of the kids um, hadn't been taught good ways to deal with, you know, their problems. You probably weren't taught the words conflict resolution on no. the farm, right? No, no. You know, on the farm things, um, you know, you see uh, chickens get their head chopped off and you see um, a cow or a horse that's broke a leg or something and you have to put them down. It just, you know, it's a different reality. Nowadays, when we eat a hamburger, we never think about yeah. what it took to get it, get it into the, into the bun. Yeah. So do you think she even called your parents and told them that you were chasing around Colin and his girl with a knife? I don't think so. Um, because well, because in those days, when a kid got in trouble at school, they also got in trouble at home. And my dad would have, it would have been really bad at home. I, I had no fear of her. She could punish me however she wanted, but I wouldn't have wanted to deal with my father. And so I don't think, um, I, I think at the end of the school year, when um, they had the parents come in, kind of like for an end of the year parent teacher thing, she gave the knife back. And I think she said that I, um, that she'd taken it away from me for safety reasons or what. Yeah. And my parents didn't know the story until years later when I told them. So, so the farm was everything to your parents. Did they? 
did your mom want you to get an education? Your dad didn't. Were they both somewhat supportive of you getting an education, at least at a young age? Neither my mother or father had had um, an education beyond high school, nor had they had a family member. Well, I take that back. Um, my grandfather had gone to, a, on my father's side, had got um, like an associate's degree in, in metalworking. Okay. They call it a shop in those days. I, I can't remember the real word for that. Um, but my, my father expected all three children to remain on the land after high school. And he was very much against uh, college. Um, he was okay with high school. He was okay with middle school or grade school. I'm not sure he was thrilled about us spending the day you know, um, when we got bigger, he'd have rather had us at home working. And if we ever volunteered to stay at home to help, he was more than happy with that. Except I was the last one to volunteer to stay at home. So your brother didn't mind staying home working on the farm? No, he didn't. No, they, um, it was very different, um, two very different kids, my my brother and I. What was the expectation for your sister? Was she? That is probably one of the biggest, pro one of the problems in our family is um, my father was caught off guard by the third child. And the fact that it was a girl was very confusing to him. And so um, once they had my sister um my mom wanted her to be a part of her day and you know and learn to do the things that she did but even from a very young age my sister just wanted to be with my father but my father never wanted her around uh he thought that um men were the ones who did nowadays i just you know i if I could have counseled my father, I'd say, hey, she wants to be out with the boys. Let her come out and do the same work that we're doing. Yeah. You know, it. Uh, my brother and I felt like, uh, you know, we were in uh, like some type of slave camp. It's like, hey, come on, bring, <laughs> bring another person out here. <laughs> um, but she was just always wanted... Um, you know her father's attention but just couldn't get it at that young age your father had served in the war yeah the korean war and um you know we um when you're a kid i think this is true for most people when you're a kid your basis of understanding your parents is that they are perfect. Yeah. And they're in, um, if there is, um, I always figured that there was something wrong with me that uh, caused my father to, to be uh, upset with me a lot. 
because I couldn't figure out what it was I was actually doing, but I figured it must be something. Um, but I, we learned later um, in life, first of all, now that he's passed away, um, all the neighbors <laughs> said that my father was the quote, they had a word for him. They called him the crazy tozer. Wow. And amongst themselves. Um, but the sad thing is they never told us that, um, you know, that, that there was something wrong and, and that we just needed to try to understand it. Um, is this the, the community called him the crazy tozer or your, your extended family called him the crazy tozer? Extended family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the community. Um, he was very difficult for them to get along with. Um, so he had, um, I know this now since um, late in life, maybe only a year before he died, he decided to uh, go to the veterans hospital down in Albuquerque and go through a full psyche valve. And the outcome was um, probably something he'd feared all along. I know reading some of the feedback, he, he told him he always knew something was wrong with him, but he didn't want to go get help because he didn't want to be labeled as crazy. And isn't that ironic that the fa- you know, the extended family did label him as yeah. the crazy one. Um, but he, um, the results of the psych evaluation i can't remember all the details but i remember it says he can't form healthy relationships with um with other adults and um he dealt with paranoia and uh hyper vigilance and um, they're not sure how much of that developed when he was younger and how much of it developed when he was serving in Korea. Yeah. But um, he never talked to us about Korea. Never. There was just little peripheral stories, but we never heard about any of the work he did in Korea. So... Uh, he was in a tank battalion, and at some point, they moved him to an ambulance chief driver. And um, that way, he was all by himself, and he worked best by himself without anyone else around him. And one day, so he, he knew all the people in the tank battalion because he'd been part of them. And he's stationed with him, but now he's an ambulance jeep driver. And one day he was sent out to pick up wounded, and there was like 12 of the men in his company that he knew that had been um, tied uh, tied up and executed. And um, he had to bring their bodies back. And that was... That was one of the traumatic things that was listed in his psyche evaluation. And so one of the psychologists said he probably had some problems when he was growing up, and there was some evidence of that. His father passed away when he was 
12 years old or his mother passed away when he was 12 and his father was already in a relationship with another woman and that just kind of left a boy all of his older he was the youngest older siblings were already grown up and gone their own direction and so that left him alone in a rural area and um, that could have been a factor how did he meet your mom um he was just back from korea and um she had um recently taken a job at the uh telephone office as a switchboard operator and um she went to um In those days, they'd have dances. Um, I think this was the fireman's ball or something like that. And, and she and her one of her uh, uh, girlfriends from the switchboard office went to the dance. And there she saw my father. And um, they uh, both were kind of attracted to each other even though she'd been set up on a date with some guy that night. And um, my father asked her if at some point, if she wanted to go to a restaurant and get something to eat. And as they went out to his um, pickup truck, he pulled um, uh, a paper bag that appeared to have a bottle in it out of the back of the truck up and my mom uh, looked at him and said um well if you um want to date me then you need to put that away and he did <laughs> and uh they went and had dinner and he ate his and then he ate hers and <laughs> And that's how it all started. What did you love about your dad or what are some of his greatest characteristics? Cause I, I imagine I, I never met him. I, I attended his funeral, but he and your sweet mom produced you. That's right. Yeah. Um, my dad had a really good work ethic. And when he decided to pursue something, he pursued it, whether it was a good pursuit or not a good pursuit, you know, um, if um, he thought that someone needed help, he would pursue it intensely. Or if he thought somebody had done bad, he would pursue them intensely. <laughs> um, maybe that's that hypervigilant thing or whatever, but I always saw that as a, um, as a positive, um, I always believed, um, and I don't know where I got this idea that absolutely anything was possible if you put the effort into it. I, I can remember, um, we used to get heavy snowfalls around here, you know, sometimes a couple of feet of snow. And I remember one time, um, mom and dad saying, well, you probably shouldn't go to that activity tonight. And I'm saying, are you telling me that we can put a man on the moon, but we can't 
<laughs> drive 10 or 15 miles on a snowy day. And like, you got to be kidding. I just can't be the case. <laughs> so uh, I do, you know, crazy things like uh, uh, try to drive, um, you know, 10 or 15 miles to get to something in a snowstorm or, or if it was so bad that the pickup couldn't make it through it, then I'd ask if I could take the tractor. And I remember when I was, um, had my interview to be uh, ordained a, an elder, I think it was, we had one of those m massive snowstorms and I was just back in Colorado for a day or two and we had an appointment to meet and um, uh, my dad let me borrow his pickup and I remember I had to, you know, accelerate as I saw that there are certain drifts across the road to get over them. And then I got to the church building and there was nobody there. <laughs> and uh, I a good sense to stay home. I just uh, sat there and I'm like, oh, certainly my bishop would not forget this appointment. And um, all of a sudden I... Um, there's one of those huge tractors that they use out in the in the dry lands, uh, you know, lots of wheels and everything on it. Uh, comes uh, through the snowstorm and you see it coming towards your church. And it was Bishop. Oh, uh, cool. He might have been a few minutes late, but he <laughs> was. He knew he had to be there. He knew and, you'd be there. Yeah. So when it comes to science, engineering, whatever, I always. Um, I always believe that if you wanted it bad enough, you could make it happen. Did your By brother? Way, oh, yeah. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, I've seen that and that's a unique characteristic that you have. You always believe you could do something. Uh -huh. um, and if your body didn't think so, then it needed to change because it was going to happen. Yeah, I think, well, you know, my mom and dad, so, and my brother, yes. and siblings, and sisters, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did your brother have a good relationship with your dad? They were very close. My brother tells me today that he always felt loved as a little kid, and that he personally saw my father's meltdowns and stuff as, um, as a flaw in his father. It's like, how did that little kid come to that conclusion? It would have been nice if he had told me. Because you thought, you thought happening. it was your fault. Uh, and like, I, it would have been very helpful for somebody to tell me, this is not normal and he's not okay. Mm. Uh, but it never happened. Um, I think that's pretty, it's also kind of impressive that the entire community kept kind of the secret uh, for my father so he could be respected in the community you got to remember that when he passed away I mean when his mother passed away he was kind of like this orphan and now I understand some of those old folks in the community they had reached out and they had worked with him for many years my dad tells stories and that I've actually recorded where he talks about well I went to the next door's wicker ranch and 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 they needed work and and i did it for him so he says i was out working from a young age 
they were bringing him in, feeding him, clothing him. Taking care of him. Uh, yes, he did have to do work for them. But it was all part of a plot. And when he would have his meltdowns and get angry with them, then he'd go to the next ranch and he'd work there. And then he'd have his meltdown and then he'd go to the next ranch and then he'd rotate back. You know, they loved him unconditionally. And I think part of that's because um, his mother, my grandmother, which I never got to meet, she was a, a very special woman in that community. They all just thought the world of her. And she was a big part of what helped to hold the community together. So when she passed away, they felt responsible for this boy and being patient with him. And that carried on through the old all the way through community. Yeah. Uh, they never, they just patiently over and over again, I saw them he would accuse them of theft and of destruction of property and, and this and that and the other. I thought they never fight back. I guess that's because my dad's right and they're guilty or something. <laughs> no, they were just uh, unconditionally uh, loved him and cared about him. One time he had a kidney, um, kidney stones. Oh, I forget. He had different owies over the years that kept him from uh, doing farm work for a few days. And I remember my dad refusing to accept help. That would have been, that was just his character. Mm -hmm. I remember waking up in the middle of the night because I saw light shining in my bedroom window and there was a whole line of tractors and they were out there in those fields doing whatever needed to be done. And then they all disappeared before daybreak oh my gosh so they could get all the work done without him having to acknowledge it knowing that they were out there you know yeah yeah how old were you until you realized or when did you first realize that your dad had was sick um this is kind of embarrassing um I knew I had serious issues with him for a long time, but um, do you remember Craig Henderson? Uh -huh. He's a great guy. Yeah. So don't take anything I say after this in the wrong tense, okay? Yeah. Craig and I, I had a hard time figuring out how to work with Craig. And by the way, you should know he had a pituitary problem. Oh, no way. But anyway... Um, and, um, some of the things that Craig did just drove me crazy. And I came back for, um, I think it was a Thanksgiving to, to see my parents and they were trying to install a TV antenna and they were using a piece of drill stem from the oil field that weighed probably two or three tons. It was, and it's like the, totally the wrong thing to use, but it was, that antenna was never going to go down and um my father asked me to do something that was extremely dangerous and probably would have resulted in injury to me but i knew a way to do it that would um would be safe and i, I immediately executed my plan without telling him that his idea was bad and 
all the other relatives that were there, you know, this holiday event, uh, were um, said things, oh, that's a good idea, thank you. And my father had a horrific meltdown, just screaming, yelling, leading to crying. And then what did I do? I did something I'd never done, I, I laughed. And that's not my normal response when he has a meltdown. Mm-hmm. It's usually fear. Because what I saw was like, you know, a 10, 11-year-old boy that was, it, it looked to me like he'd made a terrible, that this was a just a childish meltdown. And it's the first time I'd ever s- seen that happen. And that forever changed our relationship because when I laughed, it wasn't like, I wasn't laughing. And this is hard to understand. He probably never did understand that. I wasn't so much laughing at him. I was laughing that, that this matched up with something I'd seen before somewhere else in, in another person who had personal problems. And so I saw that in my father and, you know, he didn't, my father didn't speak to anyone for months, not even to my mom who was with him all the time. They didn't know if he's going to snap out of it, but he was in a, he was in a real funk for a long time. How old were you? Um, hmm. Probably in the, mid to late 20s okay yeah probably late 20s it wasn't too long after i got to idaho and um started working with the scouts how did you maintain yourself of your sense of self-worth did you ever struggle with that or did you just always know that you were capable and smart because, you know, I, I just imagine that could be tricky on the farm where you're not valued as a farm worker, but you shined and excelled in school. I think, um, I think it was my school teacher and her incredible confidence in me. If anything didn't work, if the school bus didn't work, if um the plumbing didn't work whatever it was she'd say well justin professor can fix it and and i do something you know and whatever i did it was always accepted now it was not accepted at home so that's one thing that uh i would secretly try to uh, when nobody was looking to set the clock back at school so we had a longer school day (laughs) Um, and it worked a few times. Um, <laughs> you, you literally changed the clock back so that you could stay at school longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, and this may, th- there was no religious element of my life um, in those early years. None other than the fact that my mom always had her mother's Bible and my mom had bought 
uh, a very expensive book that my father probably didn't approve of. Um, it was um, it was a Bible, Old Testament and New Testament for children, big thick book. And I loved that book. I just devoured hmm. it. And um, I believed in I believed in God, and but I didn't talk to the family about it. Um, it was very um, when I was alone, I was usually, uh, talking to God and saying little prayers, even though I'd had no example or anything of prayer. Interesting. And I felt like my prayers were more often than not answered. So there was something in me that I always believed I was going to, and I tell my dad, I said, I'm going to college. I am going to be a, a lawyer. I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to, oh, whatever. Uh, you know, I had different answers on different days. And mm -hmm. he would just go into a rage when he'd hear that. But um, I had big plans and I thought there was nothing that was going to stop me. So, What did your brother and sister think about school? Um. My brother actually got offered uh, a scholarship for an, uh, an ag school, agriculture school, mm. but um, he didn't want to go. And um, when he got out of high school, his life was kind of spiraling out of control. And I think my sister wanted to go to a beauty school. And my dad said, no, that was not a good idea. I'm not sure what a beauty school is, so I can't, <laughs> I can't tell you what that means. <laughs> well, how did your siblings treat you? I mean, you, you say you were different because you were smaller and you liked school. Did they treat you differently? Um, my sister always wanted to be with the boys. So um, but we didn't have there wasn't much of a relationship between the boys and my sister. And I think we were just modeling our father's behavior to some extent. Um, you know, she was a girl and it's like, what do you do? What do you do with those people? <laughs> and um, my brother and I, uh, in the early years, we got along pretty well. Um, when we had a spare moment, we'd play um, cowboys and Indians, and sometimes we'd be the cowboys, and sometimes we'd be the Indians. And when we were the cowboys, we had rifles and Gatling guns that were carved out of wood. And when we were the Indians, we had uh, bows and arrows carved out of tamarack bushes and willows. And, and believe it or not, baling wire can be used as a string. <laughs> On a bow and um yeah but in the later years my brother and i we kind of drifted apart um i was very much um i was mostly obedient and he was kind of disobedient and my dad actually seemed to kind of look the other way when 
his life was spiraling out of control. And um, I'd point out to him that something wasn't right. <laughs> You'd point out to your brother that something wasn't right? You'd point out to, to my father. brother and to my father. But uh, neither one ever responded to my feedback. <laughs> I remember when, uh, my, fr- when my brother uh, got his first car and he uh, took out a loan and my dad co-signed on it. And I, I was sitting at the dinner table and I'm like, I looked over at my dad and I said, you know, he'd need to have a job to start making payments on that car. And I said, um, he's also got to take care of it, like oil and stuff. And you see how he takes care of farm equipment. It's just, everything is destroyed. <laughs> Not like you're going to have a broke down car and no money to make the payments and you co-signed on it. And so my advice was clearly not appreciated. And my father had to pay for that car. <laughs> and my brother didn't pay for it. <laughs> I don't think he ever made a payment on it. Um, and he only had it for a few weeks when he um, blew out the transmission. So, Well, I know you're taking care of your mom. Do we need to wrap up for the day? Yeah, I need to go um help her with her her dinner okay let me hit stop and we'll uh wrap up thanks for listening to the first episode of sundays with tozer to be notified each time an episode of sundays with tozer is posted subscribe to the mickles and dimes podcast in episode two we discuss tozer's middle school and high school years tozer not knowing his birthday because it wasn't important on the farm tozer getting paddled at school for asking too many questions and tozer getting a perfect math score on the act but also a rock-bottom English score. Thanks again for listening to Sundays with Tozer.